Hey, this is Pastor Jason Deshaw at Redeemer Church in Fridley, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. My hope for you is that this message helps deepen your relationship with God and leaves you feeling encouraged. For more information about who we are, message notes, and discussion questions, visit us at RedeemerMN.org. Good morning, church. It's a great day to be here. As Jason said, we're launching into a new series based on a little book found in the back of the New Testament called James. Now, some people think James is too works-focused, but I really like this book because I think James shows us instead a faith that works. James offers up incredibly practical wisdom on everyday problems, like how to deal with your anger, how to resolve relational issues, how to find hope in a very difficult situation. For those of you that have been alive long enough, you know that life can at times get pretty messy, full of problems, big and small. And many times we're not sure how to solve them or where to go for answers. And today there's no shortage of people handing out advice for answers. So let me ask you, where do you go for advice, for wisdom to solve life's problems? Maybe you go to your mom and dad. Maybe your kids are grown and you talk to one of them. Maybe you talk to your friends. Maybe you go to your horoscope. Some of you in this tech-driven world might even turn to Google or Siri. I went ahead this last week and Googled a few silly responses from Siri, and so here's some of the advice Siri gave me. Siri, do you know any good riddles? Siri responded, I can't riddle you anything, Batman. (laughs) Siri, what are you scared of? I'm afraid I can't answer that. (laughs) Siri, make me laugh. The past, the present, and the future walk into a bar. It was tense. (laughs) Or worse yet, Siri, what are you doing later? Uh, Just consulting my Siri eight ball. So, silly answers you can get from Siri. I'm going to tell you, the book of James is going to offer much better advice than you'll ever get through a virtual assistant. During this series, I want to encourage you. The book of James is just five chapters long. This sermon series happens to be five weeks long. So if my math is correct, you could read a chapter a week, and we could all read through James together. You could get the Bible app and listen to it on your way to work or at home. But I want to encourage you to read James to dig into it, to listen to what God would say as these students just set up at camp. Listen to what he would tell you from the book of James. Because my prayer is is that this series would be a significant step in your spiritual journey. Today I want to start with just a simple question. How do you get through a situation or a circumstance or a problem that for you feels impossible? It feels like you just want to give up or give in or you just can't keep going. A few months ago, I started working out at a gym. And what I like about this gym is is I don't work out on my own. I go to a class. Everybody in the class does the same workout. We usually get in groups of four, and then we go through the circuit that they have planned for the day. There's music playing, and there's an instructor on a mic giving advice. But the bottom line is just this. I work out harder in that 50 minutes with the group encouraging me than I would, you know, on two hours on my own. And some days, depending on who I get connected up with, I work out even harder. Particularly last week, I was in a group of four, and one was a young kid in his 20s, and another was a a younger man who's a firefighter, and these two are in serious shape. And I wasn't going to be the one to slow the group down, so I started out strong, and I was going to keep up with these young bucks, and I did so for about 15 minutes. (laughs) Then I hit the wall, and they looked like they were just getting warmed up. I began to cramp and had to catch my breath and got a little lightheaded. At one point, I got so exhausted, I had to stop, so I walked over and I got a drink, I got a little discouraged, and I started thinking to myself, John, you're out of shape. 
there's no way you're going to finish this class. Just give up. And after I got the drink, I was kind of walking back to my group, and I saw that there were people much older than me still cranking on the workout. And then the firefighter came up and just simply said, John, you got this. And I jumped back in, and for some reason, my body began to feel better and stronger and less winded, and I finished the class feeling great. I was on this workout high. And I know I'm talking about a lighthearted give-up moment, but how do you get through a situation that feels insurmountable? How do you get through real-life moments? The time you lost your job. The time you faced a financial crisis or a debt that you had that felt like it was never going to get out of it or a family member, a friend who hurts you or abandoned you or turned their back on you, or a relationship that's just ended and it's left you brokenhearted, or you get a diagnosis that's left you feeling like life is going to be harder from this moment forward, or maybe even shorter. For me, this last week, a couple days ago, one of my favorite uncles passed. Or I have a dear friend that's just gone through a hand surgery. And you're wondering, how do I keep going? And the question was not just relevant for us today, it's extremely relevant for the people James was writing to Listen to how he begins his letter. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now that phrase that's in there, scattered among the nations, tells us a little bit about the situation James is writing to. James is not writing to this closely knit, gathered together, doing great group. He's written to a a scattered, a dispersed community. A community similarly wondering, God, where are you? And you can read about it in Acts chapter 8. It's called the dispersion. And it says that the persecution during James' time got so great that people literally had to run for their lives. And James is writing them to encourage them, to tell them, hey, this faith that we have, it's worth dying for. And so then he pens these amazing words right after that greeting. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That first phrase, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Does that rub you the wrong way, like it does me? I mean, can you imagine someone going through a difficult situation and your advice is, Jim, you should be so happy you're going through that divorce. That's exciting. (laughs) Or isn't it wonderful that you got that difficult health diagnosis? It sounds odd, doesn't it? Consider it pure joy. And then James doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, whenever you face trials. In other words, trials are coming your way, whether you like it or not. So get ready for it. And James knew trials firsthand. If you read a bit of his backstory, James grew up in poverty. He was probably one of seven children. Many scholars believe that his father Joseph died when he was young, leaving Mary with seven kids and in great financial distress. James was also the brother of Jesus. How many times do you think you heard the question? James, why can't you be more like your brother? (laughs) And James says, trials are coming. Be joyful. Great way to start an encouraging book, right? What James is doing here, you have to look. There's a very important word right at the beginning that you could miss, and it's that word consider. In other words, James says, consider. I have a thought for you. I have an idea. I have a new perspective I want you to think about when you face trials. And he says that because what you believe about adversity will determine how you respond to it. What you believe about the struggles you're facing will determine how you respond to it. There's a psychologist named Albert Ellis who came up with a model for how we respond to adversity or challenges. He calls it simply the ABC model. There's always A, an activating event, a situation that comes your way, 
And then there's the B, the belief, what you believe about that event, how you interpret it. And then there's C, the consequences of the choices you make based on that belief, A, B, C. For example, in less than a month, my favorite sports season will begin, the NFL. And on the second week, our beloved Minnesota Vikings will travel to the frozen tundra in Green Bay and play the Packers. Now, for example, let's just say the A, the activating event, is the Vikings go into Titletown and they smoke the Packers by 28 points. This propels the Vikings to a great season and they win the Super Bowl. That's the event. What do I believe about that? Well, I believe that God is good. I believe that God's a redeemer. I believe that God is faithful. And so what are the consequences? I celebrate. I feel positive. I move forward in life with hope and joy. Right? Now, believe it or not, someone else could have that same event, activating event, and have a very different response. In fact, there could be somebody here that actually cheers for the green and gold. Hard to believe, I know. But for them, if the Vikings come into town and smoke the Packers and win the Super Bowl, they might think, you know what? There is no God. I mean, what's happening in the world? I must be living in deep, grave sin. And they go see a counselor for their depression. You see, that same situation can lead to very different beliefs and different choices and different consequences. And James is saying, whenever you face a difficulty, a face a trial... I want you to consider not just the negative, the frustrations, the doubt. Consider that there may be a different way to understand it. A different way that could lead to very different choices. And so I know this raises some questions. John, are you saying that we're supposed to enjoy our struggles? That means we should seek out pain and suffering? John, does God like put these difficulties in our lives just to, on purpose? And I don't think that's what James is saying. James is inviting us to see our trials, our struggles differently. To see them in a way that God can actually use those difficulties in our lives. And so I want to just talk about this morning kind of different ways that we can face struggles. Okay? First one is this. Trials and struggles can, number one, reveal our true character. Consider it a joy that you're facing this because it will reveal your true character. In fact, James uses a word for trial that literally means a situation that reveals one's true character. It's almost like how a stress test can reveal the condition of your heart. When we face difficulties, when we face trials, when we face struggles, we can discover something about ourselves that we may not like. You get stuck in traffic and you say things to other drivers that you would never say to their face. And you learn, you know what? I'm not as patient as I thought I was. Or someone gossips about you behind your back and then you go gossip about them behind their back and you discover I'm a little bit more vengeful than I thought I was. Or you don't get that promotion you wanted or that grade that you thought you deserved or that starting spot in the team that you so desperately wanted and you go blame the teacher or the boss or the coach and you learn there's a lot more resentment and envy in me than I ever thought. Sometimes trials and struggles can reveal that deep down we believe the world revolves around me. <laughs> and we discover truths that we would not want to accept. There's a philosopher named Paul Tillich, and I love the way he describes it. He says this, suffering takes people beneath the busyness of life and reminds them that they are not who they thought they were. And James is saying, I want you to consider it an occasion for joy. Because you can discover in this difficulty something that you didn't want to admit. 
And then you can stop pretending and believing that you're something that you're actually not. See, the trials don't just test us, they reveal us. And in many ways, they're a form of God's mercy. God's saying, I don't want to just leave you as you are, John. Whether that's cold-hearted or arrogant or impatient or greedy or selfish. Instead, I'm going to let you discover this about yourself so that you can surrender to me and that we can change. You can change. Our trials reveal our true character. And secondly, our trials can make you stronger. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing produces perseverance. The word testing there means purifying or redeeming. In other words, you're going to grow in a struggle that you would never grow otherwise. You're going to gain the ability to get through what feels like it's insurmountable or impossible. And when you think about it, if you're anything like me, I oftentimes have a very low adversity to pain. I mean, I can sometimes doubt the existence of God if Trader Joe's doesn't have the chocolate-covered almonds that I came to buy. <laughs> and oftentimes, it's little stuff that gets us so worked out. And I think it's partly because, A, we have so many resources at our disposal, and B, we live in this culture of entitlement. And so often we believe we should be in control. Life should go our way. Our wants and our needs should be met just the way we want them met when we want them met. And if they don't, we scream, foul, unfair. We need to grow in perseverance. Perseverance is not just about staying on top of all your problems. Perseverance actually comes from two Greek words, meaning remain and under. And when we're going through a trial, so much of that, is, uh, uh, that life is literally, we remain under the stress or under the burden. We remain under the weight or under the challenge. And sometimes I think the best picture of faith is simply this. Hold on. Hold on. You're all very familiar, or most of you are very familiar, that I lost my wife to cancer five and a half years ago. And during that journey, I went through all the stages of grief. Denial, anger, hurt, depression, frustration, acceptance. And in my anger, I had thoughts like, God, why didn't you show up? I mean, I feel like I did everything right. Why didn't you show up? Have you ever asked that question? God, I feel like I did everything right. Where are you? I mean, I was faithful. I went to church. I prayed. I, I was in my growth group. I gave. I was doing all the right things, and now what do I have to show for it? At the time, I didn't see it, but I look back, and God was making me a stronger person. I grew in compassion for people going through a difficult time during that time. I grew in trust and reliance on God and humility when I wasn't in control. At the time, I didn't see it, but the trial was making me stronger. And when you get caught up in the moment, it's so easy to think, God, if you don't get in here and change my circumstances, that just means you don't care. Here's the thing. God's more concerned with your character than with your circumstances, which is why God will allow us to have struggles, have difficulties, maybe even allow us to fail. It's not a sign he doesn't care. In a mysterious way, it's a sign that he cares so much, he wants us to learn to persevere, to grow, so we can get stronger. It's so funny. You ask somebody most anybody, what in your life has helped you grow the most? And they're not going to talk about their successes or their achievements. They're going to talk about their struggles, their failures, their setbacks, and the fact that they got through it, because that's how we grow. David Brooks, a writer, said it this way. When most people think about the future, they dream up ways they might live happier lives. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the crucial events that form them, they don't usually talk about happiness. It's usually the ordeals that seem most significant. 
Most people shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. Wow, that's powerful. We aim for happiness, but we grow when we face our challenges and our, and our trials. And James is saying, consider it a joyful thing that God isn't finished with you yet, that he wants you to get stronger, that he wants you to grow. And then thirdly, your trials can help draw you closer to Jesus. There's a wonderful story about this in John chapter nine. This man is encountering a struggle. He's been born blind. And his followers of Jesus say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, Jesus, who's to blame? Who's at fault? Why did this happen? And Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, sometimes there isn't a good answer. Sometimes we don't get to know the why. But there's always something true in every trial we face. Jesus himself is right there in that moment. In the heartbreak, in that sense of abandonment or loss, in that pain, in that doubt, God is right there. One of the things I witnessed and learned from my wife as she struggled was just how close she grew to Jesus. Blew me away that oftentimes in her pain, she would comment things like, John, I'm so blessed. God is so good. I have so much to be thankful for. I mean, no one can tell you why a 44-year-old mom gets diagnosed with cancer or why there's tragic deaths or miscarriages or why people struggle with pain and loss and heartbreak. But I can tell you this, your pain is not where God is most absent. Your pain is where God is most present. And our trials in a mysterious way have the power to draw us closer to Jesus. In that moment, you might not believe it. You might doubt it. You might think, Pastor John, you're just a pastor up there telling me stuff that I'm supposed to believe. Well, maybe. But it's true. In Psalm 46, David writes this. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. An ever-present help in trouble. And lastly, and most importantly, trials do not have the last word. Because of your trial, your struggle, your pain, when you have Jesus, they don't have the last word. I like how James frames this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James doesn't describe the finish line in terms of our circumstances. He doesn't say, John, one day your marriage will be perfect. One day your job will be perfect. One day your kids will be perfect. He says, one day you will be perfect. Whole, complete, mature, not lacking in anything. Something more important is going on in our struggle. Your heart's at stake. Your eternity's at stake. At the end of the day, that's what the challenge you're facing is really all about. It's not about your achievements or your accomplishments. It's about the person you become. It's about you, who you are, your life, your character, your will, the stuff that you're gonna take from this life into the next. That's what really matters and that's what God cares about. Which means when we go through difficulties and struggles and pain and we know that those experiences reveal us and grow us and draw us closer to Jesus, there's also something else very important embedded deep within and that's this thought. Regardless of what you're going through, God still has you. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, God still has you. And so James is saying, consider pure joy that God still has you. 
So whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty, your life is in his hands and you can trust him. You can ask for help. Some of you maybe have never asked God for help before. But you can take the problem and the struggle you're facing right now and say, God, I need your help. Be with me in that. And I can't tell you how or when he'll answer that prayer, but I can tell you this. The pain you're facing won't have the last word. That struggle won't have the last word. That hurt that you cannot shake won't have the last word. How do I know? Because Jesus endured the greatest trial ever, the greatest suffering of all. He went to the cross, took the weight of the whole world on his shoulders, and died and was crucified for our sins. He's placed in a tomb, and three days later, he rose. He defeated sin. He conquered death. He finished the race. I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy he faced every trial. For the joy he went through all the suffering. For the joy he went through the pain. For the joy for you. And for you and for me. For the joy he did it, which is why we must persevere. It's why we must keep believing. It's why we must keep trusting and keep hanging in there. And keep surrendering and keep having faith. Just before that verse in Hebrews, that verse begins, let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus had you at the beginning. (laughs) He'll have you at the end. He's got this. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this message and you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give at RedeemerMN.org give. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single message.